0: I'll say good morning and welcome to everyone as well. Happy for each one here. We have some people missing too, I think. So we miss them, but we're here together, and uh, God is with us, and we have His His Word, the Bible, <clears throat> to learn from, and so. And the Holy Spirit is um, here to to help us to understand the Bible. And so it's good. It's good to be here. Uh, my text this morning is 1 Corinthians 11. We'll read that in just a little bit. <clears throat> and uh, some, of, some of us are familiar with this uh, scriptures, maybe some, not so much. Uh, maybe Maybe this morning... The teaching that I will give will be seem new to you. Maybe you're a youngster who uh, is growing up, and suddenly are listening to the sermons. (laughs) I hope you're you're doing that as you get uh, come to the age you can understand the the speaker. And so, uh, yes, invite you all to, to listen and. Uh, find a, have a Bible ready Why don't we get ready to read the Scripture. I think there's, uh, you, of course, most of you have your Bible on the phone. On your phone, there are some Bibles scattered in the pews. But uh, when we read the Scripture, I really would invite you to to uh, follow along. I took this course the other week, uh, how to interpret the Bible, and. The teacher really emphasized the reading of the Bible and really meditating as we read, and so I want to encourage that this morning. I have a few things to say before I go to the text. Uh, Heidi, our daughter does tutoring, and this young man uh, she tutors out of the blue said "I've been studying First Corinthians eleven, and I think it means that a woman should wear something on her head when she prays, and he also said, but I don't, so it says men should be uncovered. He said, but I don't know, know, I don't know what to do with my hats. I have many hats. So that was his, you know, he was meditating on that scripture. A uh, sister told me this story. She was in a setting with fairly young children, and some reason asked them why their mothers wear a head covering. And some didn't know, they hadn't really thought about it. And the best answer others could give was that there were Mennonites and the church asked them to do it. And uh, so this could tell us that we need to teach this uh, scripture to each generation. Not faulting the children for not knowing, they maybe just haven't, hadn't grown up enough to listen and understand. Uh, one of my Bible school teachers long ago, I think it was Yost Miller or Urban Hirschberger, said that if you want to hold on to a doctrine, you must teach it to your congregation every three years. I know i've from i've taught from this text in the past i 'm not sure if it 's been quite three years, but uh, here we are in First Corinthians eleven this morning. I would say, on the other hand, we don't want to be imbalanced in our Bible teaching, emphasizing a few pet doctrines and neglecting others. At this seminar I was at, uh, the teacher's name was Leon Zimmerman, and he had taught at Rosedale Bible Institute for many years, and um, 1 Corinthians was one of the classes that he taught a number of years And he said he would always, at the beginning of the course, he would ask the class, usually would ask the class, why did you take this class of 1 Corinthians? And he said 90% 90 of the class would give the same answer. What do you you think their answer was, why they took the class? Anybody want to venture a guess? (laughs) It was because they wondered about the head covering in 1 Corinthians 11. And he said then, said, what does that tell us about Mennonites? Uh, and his point was that there's a whole lot more in First Corinthians than First Corinthians 11, to 16. And so we don't want to get overly absorbed in a few texts of Scripture and neglect the others. There's a wealth of truths in this book beside this chapter. But we're choosing this chapter this morning. We're going to do Bible interpretation this morning, which simply means that we're going to examine the text. I'm going to try to use some of the rules of interpretation I learned about in the class. I'll say a word about interpret. So Bible interpretation simply means to examine the text, uh, try, to under- try to understand the meaning, and then explain it. So... That's what we're attempting to do this morning. And um, I don't think I know of another scripture text, there may be others, but I don't know if I know of another scriptural text who has so many, has such varied interpretations. That happens throughout all the Bible, but this one especially seemed to have many interpretations. And I feel like I owe it to you to mention some of the varied interpretations so you won't be surprised or unsettled when you hear them. So here are some examples. We're all going to read this in a, a bit. But some understanding understand the word head in the early verses. Uh, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman. Um, those verses, they, they understand the word head to mean uh, honor, uh, saying that the woman is to honor her her uh, is to honor man, but that does not necessarily mean that she is in sub, subordination to man. Okay, some that. that's one interpretation, some understand the word head to mean source, and they cite verse eight where it says man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. So they emphasize the meaning of the word head to mean source. And so they say that uh, this head is not talking about subordination and authority. Others interpret the word head to mean authority, which includes honor, and so these interpreters say that men have a place in authority over, over women, that women have a place in the order of creation under Christ and under man. And this is an interpretation that's generally unpopular these days. So, but that, uh, these emphasis on, they, they study the Greek words, and take the nuances of the Greek words and how they're used in the old Greek culture. And so that's how they come out with a different meaning for the word. And then they, if they put the emphasis there, there will be a different interpretation of the text. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Okay, another example of how this, this scripture is interpreted is that the, the woman in the text means wife, and actually some translations use the terms husband and wife rather than um, man and woman. So they interpret it the, to mean the, the, the woman to be the wife. And they teach that a wife is not to outshine or shame her husband in public worship and thus dishonor him. And so they say that women can feel leadership roles in the church. I'm saying this in simple terms, and the interpreter might not say it exactly the same. There's another interpretation uh, some say that covering the head of a woman in worship was the normal which was normal and proper for first century Corinth. they say then the teaching here is that Christian women should follow the proprieties of the time, and this directive of Women praying and prophesizing with head covered is not necessary for our our day, our setting, when where this is not so much the norm. So that's one interpretation. They use a historical, cultural explanation of the text. Okay, uh, I'm going to talk about this is verses 11 and 12, where it's where it speaks of a mutual dependence of men and women. There are those that really emphasize that verse in this text, and they say um, men and women are equal, and they can share equal roles in the church. Uh, Also, we're still talking about different, varied interpretations there's not agreement among interpretations what, about what the phrase means. A woman ought to have authority on her head, or a sign of a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. There's, there's debate and disagreement about what, who the angels are, good good angels, bad angels, and they also. Um, some say that the, the woman's head covering gives her authority to pray and prophesy in public. Others teach, say the opposite, that the head covering is a token that she is under submission to the man. So there are many interpretations. Another one is that the, the, the hair, that's later in the chapter, is the woman's covering, but then it's difficult to insert hair into all the different times it talks about a covering. So, many interpretations, more than I've mentioned, and I'm not scoffing at them. I don't think it's helpful to scoff at others. But we're doing interpretation here, and I'll not be as arrogant to say that I or we totally interpret this the very best way, most accurate way. Or, per, uh, or teach it in a perfectly balanced way but we we do want to just read the text <laughs> uh, understand what it's saying uh, the, the the clear meaning of the text and I also attend, and when we get the discussion about men and women's roles I intend to pull in a few other scriptures okay let's start at first Corinthians 10 that was kind of a long introduction I hope it's not distracting. I hope it was helpful. Uh, Let's stand together and either you follow in your Bible or just listen very carefully to the reading of God's Word. Let's stand. I'll start in 1 Corinthians 10, the last verses, uh, verse 31, and then read to, to verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 10:31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not speaking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I have passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But but woman is the glory of man, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves, it is proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a, a disgrace to him? But if the woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice nor the churches of God. You may be seated. May God open up his word to us. Starting back in verse 31 of chapter 10, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Uh, chapter 10 is uh, Apostle Paul is writing about the the um, lemon debate they had about meats offers to idols. Some thought you sh- could eat any kind of any any kind of meat. Others thought you should avoid the meat offered to idols. So the teaching is about um, personal freedom and the de- desire for one's rights. And that's saying it's not that's not the only thing to consider. We, we must also consider the good of others. Do not cause someone to stumble. Try to please everyone in every way, not seeking your own good, but the good of many so that they'll be saved. And then the overarching consideration is to do all, to do everything for the glory of God. So I think that's good to think about those things, even in relation to what we're going to discuss here in chapter 11. Okay, verse 1. No, this is verse 2. I praise you for holding the traditions just as I passed on to them. Uh, It must have been that the first... It is true that first the Corinthians had teachings from Paul, uh, probably mostly oral teachings when he was there, and he taught. uh, There's also a letter that didn't, didn't didn't survive time that he had written earlier. But Paul had given them teachings in the past, and he's praising them for holding to them. He calls holding to the traditions. Now we we some. We tend to think of traditions as as just something that is ingrained in that we do and have a habit of doing. But he's meaning something beyond that. He he means that the teaching of the truth that he got he he received from God, he passed on to them, and he's praising them for holding to the truth and practicing the truth. So the the. The early instructions given by Paul the Apostle and the other apostles and their writings then uh, are not merely traditions in the way that we think about traditions, but they're they're words from God that the apostles pass on to us. Uh, Leon Morris wrote in the commentary, the teachings or traditions did not originate in the fertile mind of the teacher. I think that says it well, that it wasn't just the Apostle Paul saw it, it's what it's what, what he received from God. And I, I should also say the preacher shouldn't uh, just spout all things from his fertile mind. <laughs> he should uh, stick to the Word of God. Doesn't mean we can, can't make commentary, but we, we need to stay true to the truths of the Bible. Now the instructions. I want you to realize... This is verse 3, I think. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So what is this headship order? Uh, I mentioned earlier how different interpreters uh, uh, give meaning to that word, source, honor, and authority, and then how that flavored their interpretation of the whole text. And uh, I'll say again that they choose these meanings uh, because of the nuances of the Greek word and also of how it was used in the past. And, uh, well, the Greek word, uh, it's, this is strong concordance, that is translated head means that which is easily grasped, like the nail of a head. The, the, the top of it is is the, is the simple Greek meaning. So then we look for how it's used elsewhere in the Bible, verses like Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife, Christ is head of the body of the church, uh, Christ is the head over every power and authority. So uh, the the way it's used in other places does have the sense, does include the idea of authority. So I think we can safely say that the meaning here is that man is to honor Christ, his authority. Woman is to honor man as an as authority figure. Uh, Jesus Christ honors his heavenly Father as his authority. And I think that, that the relationship of God the Father and of Jesus give us a really good example of the relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, the father and son are equals, but administratively, the father is the authority head. Jesus said, my father is greater greater than that. Why did he say that? Because because in that they're equals, he said, my father is greater than that. He said, I always do the will of my father. So, like the relationship to the father and the son, I, I believe, Men and women uh, have a similar relationship. Men and women, in many ways, are equals. Administratively, the Bible teaches that man is is to be the leader and has and there's a sense of authority. Actually, I think that I talked about honor, source, and authority. I, I think uh, you know all those do fit. In a, in a good way, in the meaning of the word head. But just don't emphasize one at the expense of others. So, so we have this whole question about the relationship of um, man, men and women uh, in our day, and I, there's actually a battle that rages, and, and we hear it in all kind of places. And even in the Christian church, there's the, you have the... Uh, egalitarians, which which can argue that men and women are equal, they have e- can have equal roles roles in the church. A woman could be a preacher, a lead pastor. She can have all the roles that are available in the church. There are complementarians who teach that men and women, though equal in many ways, complement one another. There are some roles that are reserved for men and uh that women should not hold, which are woman pastors and especially lead pastors some teach and so so we're in the, we think about this role of men and women this uh this scripture emphasizes another part of this relationship this is um verse eleven. Where Apostle Paul says, "Nevertheless, uh, lest you get him, what he means is, lest you get imbalanced and men become too authoritarian." Um, remember this: In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. For a woman came from man; for as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. So uh, that comes from creation, where. God took a, uh, said, said it's not good for man to be alone, so he took a rib from Adam, and around that rib he modeled out of the dust of the earth uh, the form of a woman. He breathed into her the breath of life, and uh, she became a helper suitable for him. So that's the teaching. That men and women are mutually dependent on each other. We need each other. Uh, We're we're not in a battle. (laughs) We're to respect and honor and uh, care about each other, work together. Now we're discussing the role of men and women. I'm going to stray from the order of the verses, I'm going to go a few other scriptures. This scripture clearly teaches that men and women are free to pray and prophesy. but well, it's not quite so clear if it means public worship. Many p- teach that it does. We, we have other scriptures that speak of the roles of women in worship and in the church. I'll just read parts of verses. 1 Corinthians 14, just in the very same book, Apostle Paul says this. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak. But must be in submission, if they want to inquire anything, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgrace for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, then First Timothy 2, 11 and 12. A woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For as Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived; it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So the teaching of that verse is that women is, women about a woman's quietness and her submission. And, and Apostle Paul writes that this is rooted in the creation order and also in the fall, which is very interesting. So what are you going to do with these verses? You have First Corinthians 11 that seems to say, does say, uh, that women are free to pray and prophesy. And you have these other scriptures that are say, talking about quietness, even silence, and um, submission. So how are you going to reconcile those scriptures? <laughs> I want to, I'm not going to answer those questions, Okay but I'm going to suggest that we hold scriptures in a holy tension uh, as we make our applications uh, in, in, in life and in church life. So, sisters, what are your thoughts and your feelings about this headship teaching <laughs> and about quietness and submission? Uh, to some in our modern world, this is unthinkable. Uh, that the scripture could actually say what it means. I want, to encourage, uh, I want to encourage you as women that God has a place for you in life, in the church, a vital, valuable, fruitful, contributing place for you in worship and in the church and in the world. It's not a man's place. They have their place. Uh, they do not feel your place you have a vital, valuable, fruitful, contributing role in worship and in the church and in the world. So then, have we concluded that the headship teaching here includes authority? Both uh, the headship order of Christ, man, woman. I, I believe that it does include the the uh, angle of authority. And then the Bible did clearly teaches that men are to be servant leaderships. They are give, to give consideration to women. They are to uh, value them. They are to uh, sacrifice for them. They're to love them as Christ loved the church. So we all can learn things as men and women of how God wants us to treat each other. Okay, now verses 4 and 5. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. First, let's, uh, let's define what praying and prophesying is. We, we know what prayer is. It's speaking to God listening to God, communication with God. Prophesying, then, is speaking for God. This prophesying does not so much mean the foretelling, like the prophets of old, they foretold future events. That's not quite what this is talking about, although we have an example in in Acts where there was foretelling. Uh, It's very clear, though, that the foretelling prophecy If you prophesy, it must come true. (laughs) Otherwise, you're a false prophet. (laughs) But uh, I think it basically means praying is communication with God, prophesying then is speaking for God, and and I think it's especially talking about speaking the truth from God's word to other people. So we see in these verses that um, both men and women are free, even expected to pray and prophesy. While speaking to God and for God, it is proper decorum for men to have their heads uncovered. Um, as chaplain, a, uh, the chief always asks me to pray before a business meeting, and it's, it's really neat to see the hats just come off. I like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So men, it's proper quorum for men to have their heads uncovered, while speaking to God and for God is property quorum for a woman to have their heads covered. In fact, it says here that if a man prays or prophesies with his head uncovered, it dishonors his head, Christ. It may be there's also a double meaning here that not only does he dishonor Christ, but he brings shame on himself, his own head. I say that because of what it says about the woman. On the other hand, if a woman prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head, man, and again the possible double meaning that she brings shame on herself down on her own head. The verse following verse says it is the Same as having her head shaved, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. For if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Okay, why? Why should men uncover their heads when praying and prophesying? Why should women cover their heads when speaking to God and speaking for God. Well, the apostle gives reasons here, several reasons. Uh, The first is I'm going to call the glory principle that is rooted in creation. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So that, that comes from creation. And I don't, I don't fully understand this glory principle. Um, when it first talks about creating man, it, it says God created male and female in the, in the image of God. Both male and female bear bear the image of God, but there must be uh, this but this must mean something more, and here's the best I can do. The man reflects the glory of God, so he should be uncovered. The woman reflects the glory of man, she came from him, and that glory is to be covered, so that God receives all the glory from both men and women. Maybe verse 15 gives us a hint of the meaning. It says, woman has long long hair. It is a glory to her. It is a glory, a dignity, a praise to her. So it seems to me this is a modesty issue. The woman's glory, whatever that is, uh, whatever that means, is to be a veiled glory when she prays and prophesies. God will not share his glory with anyone. So in worship, while praying and prophesying, the woman's glory is to be veiled. That's my understanding. Another reason given for the covered head teaching, the uncovered head teaching for women and men, is verse 10... I'll read it. It is for this reason, here is the reason, that a man ought to have authority over his, I'm sorry, a woman ought to have authority over her head because of the angels. Some translations say a sign of authority on her head because of the angels. And that's all it says about the angels. So it's, it's, uh, the meaning here, I think, is obscure. We do know something about some things about angels. The Bible tells us that the angels are ministering spirits sent to serve them who inherit salvation. So do you have a, a guardian angel? Children, do you have a guardian angel? Jesus said that. Don't despise these little ones. There are angels in heaven. Always see the faith of God in heaven. He said it says it's a serious thing to offend a child, mistreat a child, misuse a child. They have angels who are in the presence of God and, and with children. They see everything that happens. And here's a verse I really like. Through the, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be, uh, should be known to the rulers and, and authorities in heavenly realm. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that's us, the church, God's church, all the churches, true churches. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known, uh, will be, should be known or made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realm. The angels are watching us. They're with us. Um, I think there is an angels present this morning. The ministering spirits that are that are um, watching over, aiding the believers. So I think it may be saying, could this mean that an angels are constantly with us, these angels who experience the Perfect heavenly throne room worship are present with us in our gathered worship, and they're concerned about reverence and proper decorum in worship. And then Apostle Paul gives one more uh, reason for covering uncovered uncovering teaching, verses fourteen and fifteen. Judge for yourselves, and that reason is do what is. Honorable doing what is honorable in the culture around you or what is natural, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory for long hair is given to her for a covering. Um, In our, uh, it, what I was able to read, of course, history is somewhat obscure. That in Corinthian day, it was it was common, acceptable, honorable for a woman to cover her heads in time time of worship. Um, in our contemporary culture, it's I think it's pretty much still con, considered uh, proper for a man to take off his hat to, when there's prayer. Maybe not so much for a woman to cover her head anymore. That doesn't, it's not quite the norm for our day. Certainly in our uh, conservative Mennonite culture, it is acceptable to do both those things. So Paul does use a cultural reason there. Now verse 16, lest we think this covered, uncovered head teaching is an isolated Corinthian teaching Notice verse 16, if anyone wants to be contentious or argue about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So it must have been that Apostle Paul taught these things and the churches practiced these teachings of uh, headship order, covered, uncovered heads. Uh, They must have been universally taught and practiced. Quickly, I'll try to answer three questions. Is this teaching for our day? Um, most modern commentaries use a cultural and historical interpretation. The rhetoric goes something like this. Faith in Christ was liberating the women and gave them freedom to speak more freely. Some, some women were, went overboard by being too vocal in church and were not covering their head. This was against the cultural practice. So then, Christian men and women should follow the cultural norms of the day, so as not to bring disgrace on the Christian church. Here's my understanding. A central teaching of the passage is that men should have their heads covered when they pray, uncovered when they pray and prophesy. Women should have their heads covered when they pray and prophesy. The four reasons given—the uh, glo- glory principle, uh, creation, the creation uh, teaching about headship, and angels—the three of those reasons are timeless, and therefore, I think that the message is for our our day. He does use the culture. If if Paul would have only given the cultural reasoning, then you may be able to explain it that way. But uh, the three reasons given, the first three at least, were timeless uh, principles. Therefore, I think the teaching is also timeless. Next question, what kind of head covering should be worn? What, What size should be worn? What type should be worn? Uh, in Christian churches that practice the head covering, we see quite a variety of type and size. Some feel that the covering is a token or a sign, so the type or size is not important. I'd like to suggest and encourage uh, just to think about the teaching that every, man, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. And then it goes on to say, then she should cover her head. So I think it's a valid question to ask, Is you as a woman, is my head covered? The head covering is a sign and a symbol before God, man, and angels. Does this symbol cover the head? Does it veil the glory that the text is talking about? Is the head covered? Uh, Another question, when should the head covering be worn? The text simply says every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Every every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. I'll I'll say it this way, that in our church we suggest and require, I, I think we need to be honest and say that Uh, that the woman uh, should wear a head covering most all the time. Are we stretching the text, which says when they pray and prophesy? Men uncovered when they pray and prophesy. By the way, I'll tell you that I don't wear a hat because of this scripture, unless it's very cold, (laughs) or the sun's beating down, and my friend here needs some help. But uh, so we, as a church, attempt to follow these two rules of interpretation, and they—I they, knew these before, but I noticed them in this class I took too. One of the rules is that um, interpretation should be done in community, and interpretation of the Bible should be done in context the the immediate verses surrounding the text you're studying, uh, other related scriptures, and in the end the whole context of the Bible. Interpretation done in community, interpretation done in context. So, uh, what we've done is look for look for related scriptures about. So, so let's answer the question: When should you pray? When do you pray? When should your head be covered or uncovered? When do you pray? When do you, when do you speak for, for God? So we consider these verses: First Thessalonians five, pray without ceasing; in everything, give thanks. Prayer is to be constant. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so it's in light of scriptures like these uh, and 1 Corinthians 11 and the related scriptures that, that this community of believer, believers chooses for our sisters to wear our head covering most all the time. I'm going to close with uh, a little window into Moses and in the Old Testament. I just read this this morning. Remember, Moses had come down off the mountain. The people were dancing in before the golden calf. And he was so angry and frustrated that he threw down the tablet of the Ten Commandments and they broke. God wanted to destroy Israel. Mo- Moses pleaded for them. And then, then time goes on, and it talks about the tent of the meeting. And there was this tent that Moses had set up out, outside the camp. And he would go out. This was after all this, it's, all this ruckus had settled down. People died by the sword. People died by the plague. And uh, God was getting the people's attention. But Moses would go out to the tent of the meeting, which was outside the tent. And he would, he would enter the tent, and then the cloud, which was, a, was the, what was it called in the night? It was a cloud by day and fire by night. Is that right? So the people, when they saw Moses going out, they would come to the entrance of their tent and just watch Moses. And Moses would walk to the tent of the, the tent of meeting, and when he would go in, the cloud would hover over the entrance of the tent and they would watch and wonder what was happening and what God was saying in the tent. And then Moses would come out and talk to them about, talk to the people about what God had said. Then God told Moses to go back up on Mount Sinai and uh, had told him to chisel out another two tablets of the stone like the first one, which Moses did, and then he went up on the mountain. And then... And some in and that interaction, God, God told, Moses told God, If you don't, if you're not present with us, don't don't even ask us to travel. You have to be with us. And God promised, I, I will be present with you. And then Moses said, Well, show me your glory. He wanted he wanted to see, experience the presence of God. And God said, Okay, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And my glory will pass by and I'll place my hand on you, over you, because you can't see my face and still live. And so he went through that wonderful experience of the glory passing by God, and God saying, I'm I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God of mercy. And Moses had that wonderful appearance uh, experience with God. And then um Moses, God had Moses right. The Bible says maybe chiseled the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. God taught him other things too. And then Moses came down off the mountain, didn't know, not knowing that his face was radiant, a reflection of the glory of God. And he, well, after the people, the people were fearful. And so after that, Moses uh, veiled his face. I don't know that this, the veiling of the face, has anything to do or any connection with the veiling of the woman's lore in 1 Corinthians 11, but it's just interesting. But here's my point. And following that then, again the Bible says that Moses would go to the the tent of the meeting, unveil his face, go in the tent. The people would wait. Moses would talk to God, listen to God, and then he'd come out again and tell the people what God said. And I want to say to us this morning, we have this wonderful opportunity and privilege by the blood of Jesus to enter into the to enter into the very presence of God and talk to him and have him speak to us in his word. And then we go out in life and speak for God. God bless us as we uh, talk to him uh, and then speak for him to others. And let's do it with proper decorum. God bless you.